the best years you could ever imagine are right in front of you if you don't drink. Um, but you know, I don't really know because if I wouldn't have had the problems in my life to wind up in AA, would I have a wonderful life? Welcome to the Recovery Edge podcast. My name is Alfredo and I'm an alcoholic. Today my guest is Ed M., who I had the pleasure of sitting down with and getting his story. Ed is not physically capable of hitting meetings up these days, so it was a real treat to sit down with him and have him share his experience, strength, and hope with us. So without further ado, let's get started. Hey, my name is Ed M., and I uh, got sober on August 8th, 1996, my home group's Loveland Group off of Aspen Street in Loveland, Colorado. And I guess I'll get started like I always have. You know, I was born in uh, Schweinfurt, Germany. My father's in the military, which a lot of my story is going to be um, a lot of uh, the things where I think my thinking might have got it right before I was drinking was we had to move around a lot from base to base. Once we moved to... Uh, the United States from Germany, I think I was six years old, and my uh, earliest memory was that uh, we lived in Kansas City, Missouri with my aunt, and we were, I'd go out and play, see the other kids playing outside, go out and play with them, well, I didn't speak English yet, and uh, so I went out there, but I think it's really speaking German to the kids, and they all laughed at me, and I remember going inside, and I think it was my first resentment too. Go inside and tell my mom, all oh, the boys are laughing at me. Mom, I don't want to go play with them. She goes, no, you just talk different than they do. You go play. No, I'm not going to go play with the boys, I told her, you know. So I'm sure that was my first resentment. I don't know how long I held on to that. But uh, that's probably the first time. Um, after we, after I got, you know, straightened out on that area, I uh, remember we had uh, myself, my brother, and two sisters at the time. I ended up later having another sister. Uh, but I had to take care of those two, or those three kids. I was the oldest, obviously, so I always had to watch over when my mom was doing things that, like shopping or whatever. I remember, remember we sat outside the commissary on a bench under the shade, and I, w- I always had to take care of, you know, make sure we were playing games or whatever to keep them occupied while my mother was shopping. So I uh, was a caretaker pretty pretty early in my life, too, so... I think when I got the freedom of, uh, after graduating from high school, uh, not to have the parents under my, uh, or taking care of me anymore, and not having to worry about taking care of my siblings anymore, uh, kind of got the freedom, and by that time I was drinking too, so I really set the course for an alcoholic by uh, the life uh, change that came along with the freedom I had, so... Um, the first drink I took, I was, I remember I was, uh, well, my mom told me that uh, in Germany they were having a party or whatever, and they found me in a closet with a bottle of whiskey. I'm not sure what, what, what kind it was or whatever. Could have been a bottle of wine, I guess, or whatever, but they found me in a bottle or in a closet with a bottle. I don't know if I drank in here or not, but I think I saw everybody coming to the party like talking in general and the more they drank probably the louder they got I'm like there must be something in that bottle so I took it in a closet to find out what it was I think so had a little humor in there too um, the first drink I I took 
of my own accord was I was uh, in junior high school. We lived on both on uh, Fort Leonard in Fort Leonard, Fort Leonard, Missouri, and uh, I remember we walked off post. Uh, me and two of my friends, because the GIs that always buy you uh, alcohol, we heard at the liquor store if you waited outside and ask them. So we did that and we bought. I still remember what it was a a gallon of Rosiel Grey. I'm sorry, of uh, Ripple wine, uh, Ripple wine, and um, a couple of pints of Rose Rosiel Grey wine. So my first drinks were wine, and we were coming on post, and we, we sat behind the junior high school to they had a cemetery back there. They were rather small, but still was like some of those kind of weird, you know, right behind a high school having a cemetery. Uh, so we drank there, and I remember they had uh, one grave they had just dug there, and it was covered up with plywood and stuff like that. We got so drunk, we took the plywood off and tried to push each other in it, just being a bunch of grab-ass stuff. With like I think there were six or seven of us, so that was my first uh, uh, mem memory of uh, being drunk and the, the enjoyment I got out of it. And that time I do remember getting, you know, having a lot of fun with it and stuff like that. And I don't know if that's the first time that I, I felt that freedom of like, wow, I feel like a really different person because of drinking or whatever. But I remember the the, the fun we had anyway. Um, shortly after that, we started to go to our friend's house after school. And I, th I think it was like later in the evenings though too, and like, like not right after school, but after we went home, ate dinner, whatever, and you know, asked if we could go out. And we'd go to his house and they'd have a six pack or 12 pack or whatever, and we'd drink a few beers, not really get drunk or whatever, just a social drink, I guess it was called. And I don't think I got too drunk on that, but uh, on weekends, I remember we would uh, get drunk and go, I'd follow their lead. You know, I wasn't uh, criminal minded, I guess, but uh, they started going out and doing stupid stuff like breaking into cars, which finally, or finally grew into breaking into houses and stuff like that. And uh, I remember one, one, one experience I had here we were in junior high school, broke into a house, and uh, I remember going through drawers and stuff like this, like, you know, stealing stuff, and the picture I saw on the dresser was one of a, of a friend of mine in, in uh, junior high school, and I felt so ashamed that I was in there, you know, going through her parents or their, their house and, and uh, going through their belongings and stealing stuff. I felt so ashamed, but... Uh, like I didn't care. I mean, I felt bad and stuff like that, but I'm like, oh, well, here we are anyway. So uh, I just uh, let that that behavior be, uh, you know, pushed under or whatever, however you want to look at it. Like I didn't, uh, I cared, but it was no big deal anyway because who's going to catch me, you know? Um, so that happened time after time, and we finally got caught for, I think we had some stolen property, something like that on us, and the police on post, the MPs or the, I think they call them CID, you know, uh, civilian interrogative detectives or something like that. They questioned us and got my father involved with it, which, you know, caused a lot of problems in the home too. He started, you know, blaming my mom for not keeping a better eye on me and stuff like that. So I felt a guilt on that. And then, um, then came, you know, uh, punishment for it or whatever. Wasn't able to go out and hang out with my friends and stuff like that. So by that time, I'd had uh, developed into um, resentment for, you know, 
blaming me for things that, you know, like, it's not a big deal anyway. It was inside myself, you know, I was getting blamed for something that I didn't think that was a big deal, you know. I'm not sure if there's alcohol or my underdeveloped mind, you know, being just in junior high or whatever, but um, that carried forward, you know, through, we moved uh, to a different town in Junction City, Kansas, and uh, I'd always fall in, like, uh, by moving around so much, I always fall in the crowd, the first crowd that would accept me, and it seemed like that uh, either the hooligans or the less fortunate kids in school were, was running out to who I would of generator being being around and and uh, by the time I was in high school like it didn't matter uh, I was drinking on a daily basis or whatever but on weekends once in a while or whatever anyway and the drinking started becoming a part of that high school life too um, drugs are part of my story too but that's not till later on uh, I think I smoked pot once in a while I don't remember doing any uh, chemicals or pills or anything like that um, till way later on and I didn't do that much of it but uh, that is part of my story too so um, and in high school uh, my dad it caused embarrassment to my dad when I got caught with that stuff um, and they would uh, slap me on the hand and you know really I'm not sure what, what, what kind of punishment they gave him I don't remember anything that any of the ramifications being too serious, like getting get court-martialed or anything like that, because it wasn't him that, him that got in trouble. It was his, uh, his child he wasn't watching out for, whatever, so I'm not sure what ramifications became of that. But um, after high school, we moved, or, I'm sorry, let me go back a little bit. Uh, around the end, I was a senior in high school, and we lived on post, and some friends of mine and I, uh, knew where the officers lived. They had open garages, and one guy had a real nice race car there. I mean, we, we uh, broke into that drunk, I'm sure, and stole a bunch of stuff off it, because oh, it was an open garage anyway, and you know, wasn't locked up, so pretty easy to access with, as long as we didn't make too much noise to get away with it, which we thought we did. Um, but some of, some of the stuff we tried to sell or, or give to somebody else led to the police uh, arresting us, the people, the friend of mine who were involved, and got a got got a, a federal charge because it was on a military reservation, which is a federal, and so we had to go to Kansas City, Missouri, to the federal court, and get uh, our punishment there. I guess we returned the stuff that we had, um, and the stuff they had found earlier through the other individuals that, that told on us, they got back too, so it wasn't like, uh, they didn't get the, the items back, so instead of giving us a sentence in jail, they gave us a probation, and by the time, I think it was a two-year probation, I had graduated high school that year, and moved from Junction City uh, to El Paso, Texas. Excuse me, where my father retired at. I kept drinking there, didn't get into too much trouble, had car accidents because of it. Um, but since I was on probation, the trouble I did get into ramified into having my uh, probation revoked and getting taken back to Kansas. And they took me to Salina because that's where the court was at. So when I have to go back all the way to um, Missouri, to uh, Kansas City, to the court, the federal court there, they had 
something in saline that would suffice. So I got there, got, uh, got the judge to, my father came up and talked to the judge and somehow they were able to kind of suspend the sentence again, but they wouldn't let me go back to Texas, so I had to stay in Kansas. They put me in a diagnostic center where I had to go through, through uh, like a research program and find out uh, um, if I was able to stay there, if I would make sure I went too insane, I don't know, or whatever, or, or too much of a, a nuisance or a felon or, you know, more of a criminal than, than the low degree of a person that I was involved in crime things. So they've led me to the diagnostic center. I think I was there for a couple of months. I got a job um, working at a foundry. I got a, I was also going to a Votech, their auto body and painting, which caused some problems. I stole a speaker out of a car. I finally had uh, gotten out to live in, in, uh, in town and uh, the speaker I stole out of the car. The police came and I got arrested for that. And so I, uh, they revoked my probation then. And I was gonna, the judge uh, gave me a three, year, three to 10 year sentence in reform school. And now it's kind of like a, a really, a, a, really a, a devastating blow to me. Now here I am, like, just turned, I think, I was still 18 years old or just turned 19 or something like that. And now, and now from all these little petty things I've been charged with and slapped on my hand, I'm going to go do three to 10 years with a sentence. So I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, that, that was uh, really pretty devastating. I got reform school. I wasn't a, wasn't a uh, big troublemaker, so let me go to a honor camp, which was in Manhattan, Kansas. I got to work on, the, on a, like a farm farm uh, type situation. I'd, they'd drive uh, tractors to pick up trash and stuff like that. And I drove a tractor, finally got involved into a, a tractor where we mowed the yard, big lawns and stuff like that. Big fields, which I uh, had one of the campers buy me a bottle of Jack Daniel, got drunk, uh, wrecked the tractor into a car, got the sentence revoked there, went back behind reform school walls, finished the three years back there. Uh, got out, moved back to Texas, uh, had a few more problems, uh, finally was able to finish my parole off there. Um, didn't you know, cause many problems down there. Um, moved to, I'm sorry, got married, had a kid. You know, it, was, it seemed like, or lived a pretty stable life. Then we moved back to uh, Colorado where my sister had moved to, um, started drinking again, uh, not totally like going out in bars and hanging out, just drinking with guys after work and stuff like that. Um, no big quality, I drove crazy. Um, I remember one guy was towing one time in his car, we were totally crap face drunk and, uh, probably doing 60 miles an hour in you know, a 30 mile an hour zone, you know, insane insanity uh, was starting to really gain uh, control of me with the drinking. Um, uh, didn't, didn't, fortunately, he didn't cause any problems with that. Um, after, I think it was like 10 years of marriage, my wife, and again, I wasn't drinking every time, every night, every week, every, whatever, but the times I would drink, it was really insane. I'd do, you know, crazy things, not, not, 
not burglarize anymore, not uh, hurt anybody personally, um, or, or, or obviously doing criminal activity, uh, stuff like that, but, but, the, but the insanity of my mind was there, so. All right, let me intervene with a couple questions here. Sure. Um, how old were you when you got married? Uh, 21. 21. Um, and you had, at this point, you've really went through a lot of trouble. I'm sorry, 23, 23. 23, okay, 23. Yeah. Still 21, young. I got out. The reform school is ended from 18, 19, 2021. 20, how was your um, substance abuse at that point? Like, did your wife detect it? Did she know what she was getting into? Well, I met her in a bar. We drank <laughs> together. Her boyfriend was in the military. We had some issues. Um, she was breaking up with him, I guess, and he didn't like that. And he kind of like was going to, you know, come after me, me because he's a pretty big guy. So I was like, um, but 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 it all subsided, and he went his way, and we went our way. And okay. Again, we didn't do many drugs or anything like that. We might smoke a joint here or there, but it was mostly drinking in mostly the bars. Mostly drinking right now, then at 23. Right. Okay. All right. Cool. Okay. Continue then? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Well, then after we moved up here, there were, there were instances there, like, you know, like, in the bar when I was drinking with her, um, fights and things like that, you know, I mean, you know, just, you know, help your buddies that's getting into a problem, whatever, you go help back them up and things like that or whatever, you you know, I drink anyway, so, but, but nothing to cause any, any real problems. So then we moved up here, I uh, I got a job with my brother-in-law. Um, the drinking wasn't really too heavy. Uh, I could quit, but but that time still, you know, like I quit. Well, after I got married, I quit for a couple of years, and now we're like probably I don't know three years married, and I think I started drinking again with my buddy after work, and then um, that's the guy I was toying or whatever, and really really the insanity and. Insanity was that whenever I drank, it was a little beyond what I should, uh, beyond my mental capacity to control it, I guess. And then, uh, um, then I started drinking a little bit more, and my wife uh, recognized the thing is after the fifth year or whatever we were up here, and she brought to my attention, you need to quit drinking. I'm like, oh, and of course, I didn't want to think. I was a bad person, whatever, so I, I was able to quit that time, too. Um, I think I quit for another six or eight months, and I started drinking again, and she had been getting fed up a little bit, too, and I, one night I said some rude things to her, which I won't repeat here, but um, she uh, came at me and grabbed my face, and with a thumbnail cut me, my, cut a scar up on my nose, and I was bleeding, so I went out in the garage, I smoked at that time, Went out in the garage, opened the garage door, probably 9 o'clock at night. Had a cigarette and the cops pulled up. I'm like, oh, 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 you know, kind of. And they go, what's going on here? I go, typical leaving at our house, you know, can't communicate anymore. He goes, what happened? You go, oh, she scratched me on a big deal. Well, that time, a couple of years before that, had come down with any domestic violence that it showed any signs that somebody's going to jail. So, so they took her to jail. I'm like, hey, you can't take it. You want to go to? I'm like, no, that's okay. Never mind. You know, so they... But they took her, and she got probation. Had to see a counselor, which is the first time I get to go to AA. Because my counselor said, "Why don't you bring your husband in?" 
Um, so I go in to talk to her. Her name is Sharon. And she goes, you're an alcoholic. What? You haven't, even, you haven't even talked to me yet. What are you talking about? You're just, just listening to her, you know? And so I sat down and listened to her. It was funny because the things that she said to me, you know, like alcoholics think this way, react this way, and, and, and do these things. I'm like, wow. She hadn't even heard anything I said. And she described me to a T. And you know, so I'm, well, I was open to listen to her, you know. I love this woman. I don't have any problems. You know, we had, we had at that time... Uh, two children, you know, so I'm like, I don't want to, you know, have, have any issues here, so I listened to her, and she goes, why don't you go to AAA? I go, American Airlines, we're going to fly me to, and she's like, no, 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 Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm like, okay, that's the first time I heard her, you know, so she gave me some uh, resources to, you know, pursue that, and I, the first meeting I went to was a Al-Anon meeting, and the ladies were all real nice, and there was in a bottom of a church, you know, and, and they let me stay for that meeting, and directed me to the, the AA meetings at the Serenity Club, and so I went to the Serenity Club, and uh, they said, stick around for 90 days, you know, get a sponsor, and read a big book like your life depends on. So I, I got a big book on the sponsor thing. I didn't really know how to do that, so I asked a guy after the meeting, uh, Herb, I go, it's this thing about a sponsor. He goes, it's highly suggested you should get one. I'm like, I'm a loophole, so I didn't get one. But uh, so after 90 days, I think it was 110 days, you know, I had to prove how good I could do it. So I stayed 110 days, read the big book, didn't understand what they're talking about, life depending on it, you know, thing. Um, and I didn't get a sponsor because like, I thought that was my loophole. So I quit going to meetings. I didn't drink yet. You know, I saw some people out on the streets and go, hey, we missed you at the meeting. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Thank you, though, you know. And um, a short time after that, hadn't had a DUI in my life. I wrecked cars. Uh, Died in my car wreck for three minutes. Um, I never had a DUI. So now, here I am. Um, after, I think it was close to a year, got my first DUI. You know, I, my wife fought for divorce. I had to leave. I'm living on my own. I uh, started hanging on bars, shooting pool, got in a pool league. Didn't drink for a couple months, and then... I'm like, well, I'm giving all these free bar rounds after the, after the pool games. I'm passing up getting a Coke instead. So I, I got a Budweiser one night, and I remember I drank that and went home and didn't have a thought about it. You know, like, uh, but I woke up in the morning and go like, well, I guess I'm not an alcoholic. I can drink just one. So the following week I went back and drank two. You know, see how, how, how cool it was and whatever, you know. So I drank two, and then it was out, out the window, you know, it, uh, it uh, didn't even remember anything about it, you know, at all. I had, you know, jumped back in that, that old lifestyle. The drinking was uh, my master, like it says, which I found out was the truth then, too. Um, then I, uh, shortly after that, I got my first DUI. I still remember how devastated I was, too. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, here I am going. I was in Greeley, actually. I uh, had a car I was driving back from Greeley before from pool game and really to Fort Collins. And um, red lights behind me, pulled over and did them, did the walk, you know, and didn't pass, so he put me in the back of the car. I remember somehow I got a penny and put a penny in my mouth. Because somebody told me if you had a DUI, if he sucked on a penny, it would not be able to 
you wouldn't be able to blow hot on I don't know how I got the pain in my mouth, but I tried. It didn't. It didn't work. So don't 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 fall for that one. Um, but I got first DUI that night, and then the the pool games are always on Tuesday night. So the following Tuesday, I didn't drink all week. The following Tuesday night, went back and got a second DUI. That was like you know, uh, one week apart, and then um, I remember after I was like, oh my gosh. What the heck's going on here, you know? So, um, three days before I go to court for those two DUIs, I get my third DUI. I think it was like three months later or two and a half months later, get the third DUI. And I remember the devastation of that. I had I had this nice uh, 70 Barracuda uh, with a 440 in it, beautiful car. And I wrecked it into a pipeline uh, right off of the edge of a road, the natural gas pipeline of the the frame rail around that, and I was going to, um, I'm not sure, it was in Millican, Colorado, I don't know how I got there, must have been blacked out. And I remember um, the, when I came to, I was in the back of a state patrol car, wrapped up in a sleeping bag, bleeding, and um, I looked at the front window, saw my car, on the passenger side, I go, oh, the first thought I was like, oh, the car's still okay, I'll be all right, you know, kind of thing, and you know, the the, Insane thinking when when you know stuff like that happens. I wasn't worried about how how my body was, what had I been hurt or anything like that. The first thought was like the car is okay, it'll be all right, you know, kind of thing. Um, so I think it was a couple of days after that I uh, went started going back to the rooms, and I remember that the people that remember me you know, like and they didn't know I went out, so I remember I had to go. Uh, tell my sponsor that, that or, or I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly here. But anyway, I went to the rooms and shared that I had went drinking. Well, my sponsor's name was Eddie, my name was Eddie, so everybody was going to him like, Eddie, I heard you went back out after they heard Eddie shared in a meeting or whatever. You're like, what the, what the hell is going on? You know, so I, I talked to him asking to sponsor me again, you know, and see, I do every freaking thing I'll say. He didn't say freaking though, so he got me involved in, uh, he said, you got to go to a meeting every day, read a big book every day, and call me every day, you know, so I adhere to those three things like my life. Now my, now I understand what my life depended on. I had to trust somebody else uh, to stay sober, and that was like a new concept to me, but I, you know, I, I, I guess I surrendered too. I didn't even know what that meant at the time, you know. A couple of months later, I figured that out, but at that time I surrendered. Give my well, my life to him, and and did what I was told to do. You know, I went to work, called him every day. Um, some some value came out of that too. Um, a couple months in the program, um, uh, my boss pissed me off for work about something. I'm like I was I was irritated, and he goes, uh, so I didn't call him. Call him that whatever. And I say it was Wednesday night. I didn't call him Wednesday. Call him again on Thursday. He goes, uh, go hey, what's going on? He goes. Where the F for you yesterday? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes like, you didn't call me. I go, yeah, I did. He goes, you lying MF, what was going on? I'm like, well, um, my boss pissed me off, blah, 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 blah. He goes, he goes, that's the kind of shit you get drunk over. When you can't talk to me about the problems or issues you have in your life that you can't handle, you're going to pick up that bottle before you know it. I'm like, um, made sense to me. So I never, ever missed a day calling him again, you know, so... Um, some other things I remember in early th- sobriety, 
before I had to start training meetings and stuff was, um, I remember one time he was talking to somebody, you know, we get to a meeting early and whatever, like I'd get there hourly if I could, unless I was working, whatever, I'd get there right after work. And um, I remember he, he was talking to some girl, he goes, yeah, I didn't think that MF was gonna make it. I'm like, what does that mean? You know, it's like, well, I guess it means I made it. You know, so I was happy too, you know, but, but you know, once I, once I started living, living in the rooms, I mean, that was the only people I really hung out with. Um, I, uh, a few months after that, he said that I should start, I can't remember, like, you know, the commitment back then wasn't like 90 days or, or whatever, I think it was 90 days. It wasn't six months or anything like it is nowadays, but I think it was 90 days. He goes, okay, you can start chairing a meeting. I'm like, oh, okay, uh, which one? He goes, I think it was uh, Wednesday night, because I remember Ralph always chaired too. Now Ralph is a heck of a guy too, had a lot of sobriety. And, uh, so I chaired Wednesday night, 8 o'clock at the Serenity Club. And that was a wonderful experience too, you know. When I started, like they said, start giving back. I'm sorry, let me back up a little bit. The first thing he asked me to do was to, uh, this is like in the first week, he goes, start picking up coffee, coffee cups, put them in a dishwasher, and pick up cigarette uh, ashtrays and dump it into the can. We had a folders can. We, could, we used to be able to smoke in the rooms. And they'd uh, dump the ashes in the cans and wipe the ashtrays out and pick up coffee cups and stuff like that. So like, I really felt like, you know, and I'm, I'm a part of this thing. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help out here when I can. A little simple thing like that made me feel valuable as, 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 a, as a person, I guess, you know, because like, I really feel like, like shit when I came into rooms too. All the problems I had created, later I found it wasn't just problems for myself, but my family, my friends, uh, my employer, uh, people that cared about me, you know. the When I started doing my fourth step, that's when I really started seeing the, the people I had really hurt. And I really felt the the sadness inside myself, and I think a lot of time, a lot of that stuff was when I did those things. I knew I was harming others, but the alcohol made me, you know, made me help me cover it up, so I didn't really see or feel about. Like I said, that girl in uh, or in uh, junior high that I, you know, broke in her house. I felt so guilty about that, but the alcohol just uh, took the pain away. I guess is a good way of putting it. So. Um, so, okay, now back to where I was at. Uh, I don't know if we cut the film here and redo, boot a little bit, but um, I lost the truck where I was at. Oh, yeah, so uh, now, now it's now it uh, training meetings and really felt the goodness of that. Every time I, uh, the first time I went to meetings, he's like, come by my house first and we'll we'll talk about things before you go to training meetings. So I'd go by his house every uh, Tuesday night. I'm sorry, Wednesday I went to the meetings. And I go, what should I, what should I share about today? Or, you know, what share about today? Like, he goes, uh, well, what do you think of me? He goes, humility, something you know little of. You know? <laughs> so, and he, he was right. I didn't know what that meant, you know. So I remember going to meetings saying, yeah, we're going to have a meeting, a meeting about humility. And so I'd like to hear from you all. And the stuff that I heard back from, I can't remember detailed, of the means, but it was more like about uh, it was more about how how not how I, I viewed uh, the world around me, but how I view myself. You know, like how do I fit into the, everything I'm doing? You know, like, and it was like really a scary a scary view for me to have. You know, of 
of things that were going on in my life or things that I had created, damage I had done. And I'm so grateful for when I got to the fourth step, I got to really take a look at all that stuff and, and see what uh, what a dumbass I was, man. And that's the truth. I mean, once I started drinking, I just, uh, the behavior was, was not of a normal person. That's where the insanity started. When I took that first drink, that was, you know, at 13 years old, the insanity hit, which I wasn't even aware of at the time. But like I said, when I look back on it, all the, all the insanity, the insane way I lived my life, I'm so grateful I got an AA and was able to work through the steps with my sponsor. Um, I like to go through each step, which I don't have time for, but through the process of the steps, reading the big book, um, the, the meetings were powerful, helped me to see I wasn't the only one. And that was a big thing too when I got into sobriety. I wasn't the only one, so it helped me be able to move forward. Um, after I started chairing meetings, my sponsor had me um, do other things. So I wanted to be, be more, which I didn't know how to do. So I, uh, one time they, were, they told me that uh, our GSR was pregnant and she couldn't go to one of the district meetings. So I volunteered to go, which wound up being in, I believe, Grand Junction, Colorado. So they gave me a little bit of money for gas and to get over there, they had a hotel, a hotel room. And also on another level of the, the district meetings were, to me it was powerful because it was like, the, for example, the meetings were kindergarten and this uh, district meeting was like a, was like a uh, I'm sorry, an assembly. Well, it was like a high school, because the district meetings were like, like middle school or, a, or grade school or whatever, but the good to see a function on a bigger level, like people really got out and showed about the, one of the things I heard there was like, there's one drunk sitting on the bar drinking alcohol right now, soaking his sorrows away that we're making room for right now in the rooms. And that, that was a powerful statement to me and made me, help, help me to see that, uh, the worth of what I was doing, you know, of, of being able to help somebody out there that's not even in the rooms yet uh, to uh, the, 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 the gratitude I could, could start believing in myself of, so. Um, but anyway, I, I went over there and came back from the assembly, brought the information I was supposed to bring back to our group, and uh, I said, hey, when's that position open? I'd like to have it. He goes, she's uh, pregnant. She's had that meeting for twice as long as she should have. It's yours. So I became a GSR that day. And uh, like I said, that was a, another wonderful stepping stone. And after the GSR, I became DCM. And I think it was two years later. And I did two years as DCM. And I was able to do the third leg CNAA, which, you know, it, it doesn't seem like much, but it gave me a, a feeling of... Uh, Believing in myself and giving of myself, like this in the room, so I've got to give it to others in order to keep it, which is a powerful statement. And I guess after you get a loss of body under your belt, you finally get to understand that too. But um, after the third legacy, that was a, a cool experience too. Like now, like you're the not grand poopa or whatever, but but you know you're as high as I can reach in our in our little you know the of our. Uh, of our, of our little district. So it was a powerful experience for me to uh, find a way to stay sober forever. I pray every time before I 
like when I go to meetings that God, please help me see if I'm calling to share that I'll say something today that helps somebody stay sober for another day, you know. And that's what the whole thing is about, the whole district stuff and all that. I hope that I can go there and be an example to somebody else to stay sober for another day or to try to achieve um, sobriety through doing some some form of service to help others. And the main thing, if nothing else, is remember, there's one drunk out. Sitting on a bar stool right now, lonely as hell, wanting something into his life, and hopefully he finds a room today. So that's all I think I have. Thank you, Ed. A um, couple questions then. Sure. You wrote, or you said something about living in the rooms. What is that? What does living in the rooms mean to you? Um, well, I was going through divorce. My wife fought for divorce, had a restraining order on me. I couldn't. Uh, Go and see him, see my kids for quite a while after that. Well, one of the, oh, I'm sorry, let me go back. One of the things I did when I was in a room, going through divorce, I had to go uh, to court for a custody battle or whatever. And the judge initially said that uh, I wasn't allowed to contact or uh, contact my kids initially with the restraining order or whatever. And that was kind of devastating to me. I remember going home that time and um, feel like, man, this before I got into AA and everything, or the second time around anyway, I felt uh, like, man, if I can't see my kids, my life's over. I was staying with my sister at the time because the restraining order I had to leave my house, so I, I grabbed uh, the pistol we had for protection, my clothes, and was uh, staying with my sisters. And I remember I was gonna go, I go, if I can't see my kids, my life's over anyway, I'll go get my gun, just drive out in the woods somewhere and take care of myself, you know. And I remember walking up the stairs to my, the room I stayed in my sister's house, and some stopped me on those stairs. I couldn't move, you know. And like, and then I came to a moment of clarity, like, oh my God, what am I thinking, you know? And I'm like, oh my God. So I called my sister and said, hey, go in my room in a suitcase, there's a gun. Please hide that till the divorce is over. I don't want to do anything stupid. She goes, like, what? I go, just please get that gun out of my room, you know. So. There was, uh, I could see angels or, or my higher power, or whatever you want to get out with. I always think it's like, uh, my angels take care of me. I mean, God has too many people to take care of. He can't take care of my tired ass, you know? So my angels help me out though. But um, something stopped me on those stairs and it was a sure thing that uh, grew more gratitude in my life before I got an AA, so. Here's kind of the, a sappy question. Uh, if you could write a letter to yourself, to the, we'll say 23-year-old 20, Ed, what do you think you would say? What do you think you would want to tell yourself? Oh, gosh. Um, well, obviously don't drink, but, right? but <laughs> um, you know, like like if, if I'm looking back, you know, from whatever years, uh, so bad, about 26 years now, like look back, you know, I thought it's 23 I would say, you know, like the best years you could ever imagine are right in front of you if you don't drink. Um, but, you know, I don't really know because if I wouldn't have had the problems in my life to wind up in AA, would I have that wonderful life? So, I mean, it's, it's kind of ironic that I'd, I'm kind of glad I lived the life I did to get where I'm at today, you know. I've got the... Uh, a relationship with a 
one I'm currently married to, been married for you know a little bit over 20 years, uh, or actually 20 years. This uh, this August, I've got uh, another child, another son. Uh, you know, 15 years old, a remarkable young man that that hasn't seen me drink. Um, so uh, it's 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 tough, you know. Would I want to say something to stop that drinking, or would I want to say I'm grateful the the damage that it's done in my life that I have this remarkable recovery? So <laughs> I don't know. Fair enough. Any uh, final words, you know? Um, yeah, there was one more thing that I that I, that I uh, need to need to remember to you, but by doing the steps, by going back and making the amends was a powerful, powerful uh, part of my sobriety too. Uh, one thing happened after I made a lot of my amends is a lot of the people would just said, hey Ed, we're grateful you're not drinking, just continue what you're doing, you know, basically. There was one that I was working at a automotive dealer in, in Fort Collins, or I'm sorry, a, a repair shop, and a guy came in, I changed oil in his car, forgot to put oil in, he came driving right back saying, my engine's noisy. I pulled it up, I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I put oil in it. He drove away and his motor seized up. And he came back trying to blame us. I'm like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. And that guilt, I mean, I'm sure like it was like that, that young lady whose house we're going to do, the guilt was just packed underneath, you know, that, that backpack of guilt I was carrying the whole time. So after I was sober, I think it was like eight or 10 years, that thought finally came to me, oh my gosh, that was one of the things I didn't have on my list of the damage I, you know, I created. So I called my sponsor and I go, hey, you know, blah, 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 blah. He goes like, well, go, the guy worked in a liquor store actually. He goes, well, go, you know, you can go to a liquor store and see if you can look him up or whatever. But uh, it's probably already, you know, I'd, I'd have been, I think it's more like 10 years, but because probably not going to be there anymore or whatever. So I go there and I uh, say, hey, was there a, a guy here, he used to work here 10 years ago, was like, oh yeah, my brother used to own this, but I got to take it over from him. I'm like, oh, you have his number by any chance? And he wouldn't give it to me, so I left my number there. And um, to have him give me a call, I needed to talk to him about something important. And um, I, he never called me for a week or so, so I, I went back again and said, hey, uh, did you ever give your brother my number? And you're like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't. Uh, let me just give you his number. So I called him on the way home and um, it, was, it was kind of scary because, like I said, this is like somebody I really owed a lot of money to for the, the damage or whatever. So I call him and I go, uh, yeah, hey, my name's Ed, blah, blah, blah. I used to work at this station or this, this uh, repair shop a long time ago. And I remember you came in and changed your oil and your motor seized up after that. He goes, yeah, I remember that, that, blah, 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 blah. You know, like, well, that was me. And I, I mean, I'm in recovery now in AA and I, Need to right my wrongs, and I'd like to make things right with you. What kind of do? He goes like, that's water under the bridge. Don't even worry about it. I'm like, you know, I could have said, no, that's cool. That's all right. I go, no, I'd, I've got to do something to right this wrong, so I'd like to know, you know, what, what kind of do? He goes, well, that was so much money. I'm like, oh, my gosh, here we go, you know. Uh, he goes, uh, but uh, he goes, well, what, 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 what do you think of me? I'm like, I don't know. How do you, what do you feel about $500 or I forget the exact one, I think that's what I, I told him. He goes, oh, that'd be great, you know, just drop it from my brother, go, well, I can't pay it all at once, but I'll, uh, I'll come make payments to him, you know, or whatever. So every, as often as I could, I'd take, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 
whatever I could spare on that that week for my whatever bills I had or whatever. And so I remember taking the money in slowly but surely got it paid off. I remember the last uh, amount I took into him, but I gave the envelope to his brother and walked out the door and I floated back to my car. Literally, that's how I felt, you know, like, wow, it feels so good to, you know, get this thing off the, off of my, off of my, off of my chest I've been carrying around for so long, even unaware, like I said, but it felt so great to have that finally taken care of. So that's what the men's are all about too. When, I, when you get those things, what a wonderful feeling, you know, to get that clean slate or wipe off that, wipe off that slate and start over. So, um, as a outtake and something you could possibly use, uh, I'd like to hear Ed talk about the three times he died and his his view of God and how God may or may not have intervened. Was well, twice actually, but yeah, um, one in the car. I did have a car accident. Um, Prior to getting married, the girl that I married, I uh, we got in an argument one night about uh, something at the bar, and I said, "Well, heck with that." And her brother drove a Trans Am. He's at the bar with us too, so I took across the went across El Paso to uh, the east side and um, party down, and uh, was shooting pool there with a girl. And so I think I had had a bit of weed at that time, and uh, we were getting you know drinking pretty good and. And so I go, hey, let's go have a joint. And so we took, I had a Vega, I had bought a V8 in, a V8 motor, which is a small car like that. And the V8's motor has a lot of power in it. Um, so uh, we got pulled over and, um, you know, after we were smoking a joint or whatever, got pulled over and I always carried a sheath knife for whatever reason. And uh, the cops took that away from me over that night. And they, I had the, uh, the license and her license. We got back in the car. I went back to the uh, treetop and dropped her off, and drove back to the bar my girlfriend was, was at, and her brother. And um, they were just leaving, so I uh, kind of went uh, follow them home and got beside them in the road and just, you know, took off like a race car, like I was gonna race them uh, really, really fast too. And I think I was looking back and I hit the curb flew up and broke the car in half. And I was, I was pinned inside of it, and I'm sure I'd use a, a port of power to get me out or whatever, but they say I died for three minutes in that car. The experience I had, I had a weird um, experience at that time. I was like like I was in, in uh, the universe just floating on a, I felt like a slab of metal or sheet of metal or ice or, or something like that. And there was a little square window uh, of light like I said, let's say they go toward the light or whatever. I don't know if that's, that was an imagination or what it was, but it felt so real that I was, uh, I heard music coming. I was like the beginning of James Gang Funk 49 song, the little guitar part, and, and then and then I came to or or passed out or, or whatever, but they brought me back to life. And then I woke up the next day in traction, my femur bone broken, whatever. and. Um, now, oh yeah, I'm sorry about the wheelchair. I forgot to, but I was gonna mention that in the beginning, saying this wasn't wasn't the result of a car accident. So I was actually in Boulder, and we were riding bicycles with my family, my wife and son, and I went over the edge of a a bike jump that I shouldn't have been on, 
and I landed on my neck and broke my neck and in a couple of spots from C, C3 to C5, I believe they had to fuse back together my spine. And um, they, I was in ICU for a month and I am grateful for the insurance I had because they said that cost a million dollars for the insurance one month in there. But, but I had an experience in there too. My wife said that when I was first in there, my wife, my, my sister were there. I'm not sure if my son was there or not, but they said I was like on the table and I turned gray. I guess that I had, you know, the, the heart stopped beating, monitors went to flatline or whatever it was. And then, and then um, I had the exact same experience like I was laying on a slab in, in heaven or the universe, a slab, it felt to me like a slab of metal. Uh, could have been floating on a cloud, I don't know, but but um, the same windows there with the same Funk 49 guitar beginning of, of that uh, song. And uh, like I said, exact same experience. That I and then I came to her, woke up or whatever, and my wife said that uh, I was in a state, and she said she saw the color come back immediately whenever the, you know, the modules start beeping again or whatever. And so that, 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 um, to me, those two exact same experiences is uh, proof that there's life beyond here for me. You don't have to believe it or not, but for me, that's really a, a powerful um, experience that I was able to, like, two times almost, you know, 50 years apart or 45 years apart that were the exact same thing. So... That's what I, that how I feel anyway about that. Thanks, Ed. Well, thank you, and I hope this will keep somebody hopes sober for one more day. Hopefully for uh, 26 years, but one day will be great. Thank you. Thanks, Ed, for sharing your story with the Recovery Edge podcast. And thank you for welcoming me into your home to set this up. It was a lot of fun, and it was great to get to know you. I'd also like to thank the listeners for checking us out. You can find more of our episodes on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to check out your podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.